Okay, let's do it back to front. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Yod, Kofon, and Kaf. Probably pronounced better than that if you know Hebrew, <laughs> but there we go. That's how I'm going to say it. Uh, yod, Kofon, and Kaf. Uh, last week, I was, uh, I was talking about the cry of pain and the need for us to share our pain and to share the depths of our hearts. And I was, uh, I was talking about the story of Hannah that we're going to keep looking onto a little bit. And I said uh, that these were the most beautiful images that you can possibly see, despite most people disagreeing with me normally, initially. But I believe that expressing your heart is the most beautiful thing you can do. I believe that being real and vulnerable is the most beautiful thing that you can do. I believe that expressing the pain on the inside of you is the most powerful thing you can do. And so for me, uh, most people would kind of not think they were particularly beautiful images, but I think they're beautiful. Um, I also think they're probably the most transformative, those times when we can actually share the cry of our heart. We do seem to have a negative view of expressing the cry of our hearts. Most people apologize when they cry, uh, which seems very strange to me. Um, I don't understand why you would apologize for expressing what's on your heart. Uh, I certainly have stopped doing it because I'm a human being and I have a heart and I'm meant to express it and show it. And if I don't express it and show it, I'm not really being me. Of course, I, you know, I'm not suggesting we live in our emotions. Some people have to rein it in a little bit as well. But most of us have to learn to just express what's on our heart. In fact, it's vital we give voice to the cry of our heart. It's healthy and it's good and it's right. And last week we explored some of Hannah's story, a lady called Hannah in the Bible. And we saw the need for her to move from the silent cry of her heart to the cry of her voice. Let me just quickly remind you about what we shared about last week. It's online if you want to catch it all. The story starts with these words. There was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives, one called Hannah, the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. So this is a story about a lady called Hannah, and we see there's something she wants that she's yet to receive. There's a cry in her heart that she's not got. That's really what the story is all about. For her, it's a child, but it's not really just about children. It's about anybody who has the desire to see something that is yet to come to pass. It's about having an unmet cry in our hearts. And I guess we can all identify with Hannah in that sense, in that there are all things we want to see that we've not seen. Some of it may be going back years, decades even. Some of it might just be the cry to walk into a friend's house and, not, and know you've not broken the law right now. Some of it might be a sense of get back to normal, whatever that is. There might be, I'm sure there are frustrations building in most of us that like, you know, if it's not a cry from a long thing, it's a cry from a recent thing. It's a cry of our hearts to see something different, to walk in a different way. So I think we can all identify with Hannah because there are all things in our hearts we want to see that we've not yet seen. And it seems that as Hannah journeyed, she became increasingly affected to the point of her pain affecting her emotions and her physical health. So the pain in her heart affected her emotions and her physical health. That's what pain does. Ultimately, it affects your heart and your health. Uh, because when you keep those cries in your heart and you don't express them, when you keep things locked up on the inside, eventually it seeps out into your body and your soul. And it affects your emotions and your body. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed, weeping bitterly in another uh, place where she wasn't eating. It was affecting every part of her. So she's in much a place of pain and heartache, and she cries out to God. 
that we also reach is she should do something different because the story says she was praying in her heart, her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So this was the key thing about last week, her voice was not heard. And um, many people, I suppose, feel like their voice is not heard. Uh, but Hannah had to actually express the cry of her heart for her to be heard. We get to this part of the story where eventually she does, she, she expresses it to Eli. Eli is a priest, he's like a representative of, of God in the story. And Eli says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked for. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. And she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So, so she finds some relief, even though she's not got the answer. So she's not got a baby yet, but she's expressed the cry of her heart. That cry of her heart means she finds something, her appetite comes back, her face is no longer downcast. Because perhaps she's found something more precious than what she desired. Perhaps she's found peace and relief for her anguish and her grief. And perhaps that relief comes because she's been heard, she's been able to give voice to that which was troubling her. Being heard is very powerful, being a listener is an incredible gift. And this is why we said it's important that she voices that cry because it's the first step on becoming whole. The first step on becoming whole is to voice the cry of your heart because when you've got a cry in your heart that's not voiced, you are fragmented. In other words, there's a part of you that feels something, but there's another part of you that doesn't. It's not expressing it. It's just locked up in one part of you. Your heart's in one place, the rest of you's in another place. We're not in sync, we're not connected, we're not whole. And so, we said if there's a cry in your heart and it's a cry of pain, you are already in pain. And lots of people feel that if they voice it, it's going to hurt more. Well, no, it's just going to hurt differently. It already hurts. It's not that it doesn't hurt. It already hurts. Pain is pain and it already hurts. To voice it does not hurt more. It does hurt differently, but it doesn't hurt more. The problem is until you voice it so it can actually be heard, it's very difficult for Jesus to do anything with it. And so it takes a brave person to voice what's on the inside of them because they have to actually, they know they're going to feel it differently. But, but you are not going to feel it worse. Nearly everybody I've talked to who has gone through some sort of pain has said to me, if I voice this, if I tell you what it was, it will hurt more. And I've learned, no, it won't hurt more. It will hurt differently because you are allowing more of yourself to feel it. But don't be deceived in thinking it's not hurting you. Like Hannah. It's affecting your body, it's affecting your soul. And when we give voice to it, God can come in. And I, I could stand here for the next three hours and tell you story after story after story after story of how God comes in when we voice our pain. But they're not my stories. But, so I can't tell them. But trust me, they're there. And actually in these last few months and weeks, I am seeing it happen more than ever. And God do more than I've ever seen him do when people have done it, which is pretty amazing. But this is what Hannah did. She voiced the pain and it was brought into focus. As it was brought into focus, she was able to receive a solution. So let's keep exploring Hannah's story. Uh, after the interaction with Eli, she goes home with her husband, Elkanah. She falls pregnant and gets what she's after. But then we read this. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord 
and he will live there always. So she names him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel in Hebrew sounds like heard of God. But then notice the extraordinary thing that she does. After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do you see the magnitude of what she just did? This is Hannah, who has desperately wanted a child, who has cried out to God for a child. She's given voice to the cry in her heart, and God has answered, and her response is to say, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Think about that for a moment. This is a lady who's gone through incredible pain, torment, provocation, bullying, being misunderstood on a quest for a child. And when the child does arrive, she decides he will live somewhere else. And she will dedicate his whole life to the service of God. What the heck is going on there? Imagine you have prayed for many years for something. And many, many years you've gone through pain, desperation, heartache, bullying, being misunderstood, and God grants you it, and your response is, once he's weaned, which is what, even in those days, two, three years old, maybe four if we're being generous, I'm going to give him back to God and he's going to live in the temple. We found out later she visits him once a year. What on earth is going on? Notice, there is no record of God asking or demanding she does this. This is not a story of a God who gives you what you want and then snatches it back. This is not happening here. God does not demand, God does not even ask for it as far as the story tells us. Nobody asks her to do it. This is a story about a lady who seeks earnestly for what she desires and then recognizes where it's come from, which raises, for me, a really interesting question. When you receive something from God that you've been seeking and asking for, how do you hold it? How do you hold it? It's clear from Hannah's response that she understood some kingdom values. It's clear that she understood something powerful about the heart of God that we find difficult to understand because most of us, to some degree, are way too bound up in ownership. We have fallen for the cultural, corporate, capitalist view of the world that says ownership is everything. So if you rent, it seems to me like you're almost classed as a second-class citizen because you've got to own a house and owning your house is important and you've got to own your car and you've got to do this and do that and like there's this big push and we've got to own things and we've got to make sure it's ours. And in some senses there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not showing, saying ownership in a sense is bad. But the same sense, this sense that ownership is the kind of best way forward, filters down through everything, easily makes its way into every sphere of life. We say, my car, my house, my laptop, my phone, my kids, my partner, my job, my friends. And we may well be talking about what we're responsible for, but we're also talking about them being mine. And I think there is a thin line between you being responsibility for something and tending and caring for something and you feeling like it's yours, like it belongs to you somehow. I know that in one sense we're, we, we are using it as a pronoun or saying what we're responsible for, but in our minds, I wonder what we're really, if we really think about it, it has got some really important, um, I have no idea what the word is, some really important, that's the word, implications, thank you. 
You have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. So this is the psalmist who's expressing what we are and how we like and what God's done. And he says, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. God owns everything. This is how I see the world. God owns everything. I own nothing. He does, though, allow me to manage you on his behalf. He allows me to be responsible for it. He allows me to enjoy it. He allows me to delight in it. He allows me to care for it. He allows me to bless it and speak good things over it. But at no point is it mine. I learned this lesson the hard way, as I'll share with you later. I believe you have been given use of everything you have. And the God of heaven has released it to you. And he expects you, wants you to manage it well on his behalf. But what you have, your time, your gifts, your possessions, your energy, your money, the people in your life, they are not yours. They do not belong to you. They are his. It might, it might have my name on the bank account, on the car paperwork, or the deeds of the house. But whatever I think about all that I've been blessed with, I think of myself as the manager, the steward, and the caretaker. No matter what is put into my hands and asked me to take responsibility for, I understand it is not mine. I have responsibility for it. I must attend and care for many things, but I own nothing in kingdom terms. It's all his and all because of him. And I am very blessed to be able to interact with all he has given, and hopefully it will bring him glory. Which all sounds wonderful until you hold him, your newborn baby, in your arms, and you realize that you might have to give it back. It all sounds easy and simple until you've prayed for something for 10 years and then you realize you can't hold on to it too tightly. Which is where Yod, Hotham and Kath come in. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, those words don't look very helpful at first, but they are in terms of how we should perhaps hold things. This morning I want to talk about how we hold things. How do we hold everything we've got, and particularly how do we hold what we're believing for? Because there is a way that you can spoil what God is going to give you if you don't hold it right, and there's a way you can maximize and get more if you hold it in a right way. Fools fold their hands, yod, and ruin themselves. Better one handful, cough, with tranquility than two handfuls, coffin, with toil and chasing after the wind. The words in brackets are the Hebrew words in the original, and they all mean totally different things. The word yod often denotes power and authority. It's this sense there's an ability to use power and authority, to have it, and yet it's possible to fold your hands. It's possible to check out. It's possible to not bother. It's possible to sit back and just not take and use that authority you've been given. Now, I think there are many people right now who feel they have no power, who feel they have no authority. People who feel they have nothing to say and no ability to say it, no outlet for what they think or feel. They feel like they've been kind of ever more crushed with more and more things they've got to remember to do or not do and all the rest. And we feel, it's easy to feel like you've got no power and authority. It's easy to fold your hands. 
Perhaps you feel like Hannah did bereft of something that you so desperately desire. It might be something you long for for a while. It might be a longing to live like you used to. It might just be a desire to go and see your mum and dad or your kids in their own home. But listen, don't fold your hands. Don't check out and give up. You have a voice. You have power. You have authority. Your voice creates environments and it can create futures, good ones or bad ones. You have a voice to your family. You have a voice to your work colleagues. You have a voice to your friends. You have a voice to your social media followers. You have a voice. Nobody has taken the power and authority of your voice away. Nobody has taken that away. But it might be easy to think they have and just fold your hands and go, okay, well, I'm on me. No, but you still have a voice. And just as Tina says, you can use it to pray. You can use it to declare. You can use it to sing in your own home. You can use it to declare aloud. But it's easy to get trampled down and feel weighed down and feel like your voice isn't important. Listen, no, your voice is really important. It's vital. But it's easy to think that you don't have a voice, to think you can't use your voice. No, you can you just got to be a bit more creative about it. Okay, we're not using our voices like we used to. That's fine. Let's find different ways to use it. Maybe this time is going to teach us that we're going to sing in our own homes. Yeah. We're actually going to start to declare the praises of God when we're on our own because we've never done that because we've relied on being here together on a Sunday morning. Well, now you can't. Well, use it. Understand that you still have a voice. You can sing as loud as you want without a mask on in your own home. Well, do it then. I've been doing it all through lockdown. I'll often wander down the stairs. The kids love it, not. But I don't care. While you're cooking your dinner, thank you, Jesus. It's wonderful. Only my kids have to wear me and fair, bless her. She's got some noise canceling headphones now. I think she might wear them more often. She can. No, but listen, you have a voice. Just because you can't use it in one place, don't mean to say you can't use it in another place. You've got to get creative with this stuff. You've got to go, okay, I'm not going to get shut down then. You're not shut down. And you'll never be shut down. Because nobody can ever stop your voice. They can, even, they can even force you to cover it up, but they can't stop you speaking. They can't stop you having a voice and they can't stop you saying something. Well, they could. But let's hope it never gets to that point. But listen, don't fold your hands. Too many people have folded their hands. They've given up because they've gone, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. Okay, well, but what can you do? How can you give voice? How can you give praise? Some of you, God is waiting for you to lift up your voice in your own home. You'll have a whole new experience. And of course, once again, then you'll get to keep it. So when we can come all together, you're going to add to it. Remember, this is a time of addition, not subtraction. God is adding to you all the time. We've got to use it. Every negative, we've got to turn into a positive. So please don't fold your hands and ruin yourselves, as the proverb says, but let's use that power and authority to rule as we were designed to. And please, please, let us use wisdom when we use our voice. And more than anything else, please ensure your voice is seasoned with grace and more grace. Yeah. By all means, use your voice to your friends. Use your voice on social media. But, but just pray first. Don't react out your emotion. 
don't react out of, <laughs> it's not a good place to react out of. It won't go well when you do that. The rule of peace. So fools fold their hands. They have power and authority. They don't use it. Don't be a fool. Bible's words, not mine. Don't be a fool. Use your voice. Use the power and authority God's given you to speak up, to pray, to praise, to lift your voice to him. The word cough means a flat palm. So when the proverb speaks of one handful, it means a palm opened out, as opposed to kofa, which describes a clenched fist. And according to the proverb, one open palm is better than two clenched fists. Now, a clenched fist is how most of us react when we receive something we've been longing for. We hold on to it tightly because we don't want to lose it. We've, we've, we've been like this for so long. And then God puts it in our hand and we go, I've got it now. I don't want to lose it. We tend to close our fingers around that which we've been given and hold tightly onto it. That's exactly what I did 12 years ago. Because when my first wife, Ange, died, I, of course, lost something very precious. And I remember distinctly walking around Eden Town uh, when, when, when the thought that perhaps God might have fear for me and the boys, and us for her, that perhaps that might be somewhere God might be leading. I remember saying, God, well, I need you to tell me that that's not going to happen again. And he remained silent and said, I want you to trust me, son. Apart from I didn't really trust him because in the early years I did this. I held on way too tightly because I was terrified of losing what I'd already lost. It's understandable, of course, but still it wasn't the best because when you do that, you suffocate the very thing you love the most and you suck the life out of it. You become controlling and manipulative in subtle ways that are unhelpful and not wise. I did that. Don't do that. It's not helpful. Of course, it's natural. It's what we all do, but it's not helpful. Clenched fits is how most of us react when we receive something we've been longing for. But right now, just hold one hand open palmed and clench the other into a tight fist. If you can, just do it. Clench it really tightly and leave the other one open. Feel the nails digging into your hand. Feel the stress on the back of your hand. And then feel the peace in your open palm. That's what you do with your soul when you clench it tightly. That feeling of the nails digging in, of the stress, that's what you do in your soul when you hold on to things like that. Living like that doesn't bring tranquility. It simply means you end up trying to control events and people and that never ends well. I had to learn to continue to live open-handed, to continue to live with palms open, not grasping tightly onto that which God had placed into my grasp, but to hold it loosely, to remember it was never mine and never will be mine it is God's, and he will give and take away as he sees fit. Whatever God gives you is not yours. Nothing you have belongs to you. Nothing you have is yours to own and control. Everything you have is yours to tend to and take care of, just like God said back in Genesis 2. Of course, take responsibility for that which God has put in your hand. Look after it, care for it, hold it before God. That doesn't mean you don't protect people and you don't fight for them. But it does mean you don't hold them so tightly that you suffocate them. This actually is the natural process of children as they grow up. 
what you find is initially you hold them quite tightly, you have to. But the only way to let them grow up is to slowly release your grip on them. And any, anybody who's got grown-up kids knows that you, ha you have to hold them like this. So for me, Joshua went away to university a few weeks ago. It was like the final little bit of the unfolding of the hand. To go, no. But the beauty of this is you can come back into it now. God can put more in when it's like this. Get out when it's like this. This is what you see with Hannah. This is what happens. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they'd go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Hannah continued to see Samuel each year, but she was also added to. I wonder whether she would have been added to if she hadn't have lived with open palms. I wonder whether she would have got another three sons and two daughters if she'd have lived close-fisted. So back to our question, when you receive something from God that you have been seeking, how do you hold it? You know, the only way to hold it is to hold it lightly, with an open palm. You understand it's not yours, but his. You understand he has blessed you with this person, object, experience, moment, whatever it is, and that hold on to it too tightly will spoil it for everybody. Holding it lightly is not an easy way to live, but as the proverb says, it does bring tranquility. Let's not fold our hands and be a fool. Let's use the power and authority we've been given. Let's use our voice as we can in this time. But let's not grasp all we've received in clenched fists, sucking the life out of them and making it tough to be added to. Listen, Hannah was barren. She got one and held it lightly and she got five more. It's a time of addition. God wants to put more in. He cannot put more in if you were living like this. You can't put something into a clenched fist. You can put something into an open path. And I recognize when we think about people, we think about things, this is deeply challenging for some of us. And it's not easy. It took me years to move from a place of this to this in terms of how I held faith. So I'm not suggesting it's easy, but I am suggesting I want God to be able to add to you whatever he wants to add to you. I don't want you to miss out because you are holding on to what you've got too tightly. I want you to be able to receive it. So let's not grasp all we've received in clenched fists, sucking the life out of it and making it tough to be added to. You know, just think like, even, you know, at some point all this will be over. <laughs> at some point we won't be talking about coronavirus. At some point we'll, we'll be able to have the freedoms that we're used to and that we enjoy. But listen, even then, you can't hold on to it too tightly. Because if you hold on to it tightly, you might miss what's going on. If you are holding so tightly onto, I need to sing together with my family, well, you're missing an opportunity to use your voice, aren't you? If you're holding on to that so tightly, this is what I need to do, this is what we should do, this is where we've got to be. Okay, yeah, but, well, if you hold on to it so tightly, there's no other option to do anything else. But actually, God wants to add to you. He wants to add to you. Let's live life open-handed, recognizing that it all belongs to the Father 
and position ourselves to receive all he has for us. And of course, this is, this is not just how Jesus lived, it's how he died, isn't it? Open palmed. He died like this. Open palmed. Vulnerable. And in it all, taking on everything into himself so that you might have everything. Okay, I want us to uh, take communion. Faith, can you come and play? I might want to come on. I want us to take communion and then have two or three people just to help share that around when it comes around this is for everybody by the way you are all please take it take it with us everybody that's in the room if you're at home go grab something as well take it with us uh, just pick up the uh, pot be careful it's a paper one so don't squeeze it out and get juice all over you <laughs> yeah hold it lightly not a clenched fist see Okay, be quick coming back with your drink or your bourbon biscuit or whatever if you're at home. <laughs> I don't know why we'd have bourbon biscuits, it'd spice it up a bit, wouldn't it? I am sure that for many of you, if not all of you, you have been thinking about things, people, moments, experiences, and just wondering what that means in terms of how you hold it lightly or whether you do hold it lightly. Just know this, the beauty of this moment is that it's, it's, it's like, you know smoke machines? It's like there's a smoke machine of his forgiveness that just fills every part of the room. Imagine that you are in like a haze of his forgiveness right now. Because some of you may well be feeling that, oh, I realize I've held that really tightly and that's not good. Well, that's okay. Because you're forgiven. That's the beauty. You're forgiven. It's okay. So that's the first thing to remember. You're forgiven. So let's start by that. Let's just eat this bread and remind ourselves that his body was broken and that we are forgiven. Okay, and then the next thing. Maybe as you drink this, it's good. 
take the cup in one hand and with your other hand just have an open palm just to do something to remind yourself eh, how he is with you you know he holds you lightly he doesn't although his, his, his arms are underneath and, and as we read in Deuteronomy he, he doesn't he doesn't hold you so tightly that you don't have a choice, that you don't have a moment. He holds you lightly. Maybe it's even helpful for some of you to see you in the palm of his hand. And I just thank him for it because that is where you are. You're in the palm of his hand. He loves you, he's with you, he's for you. And he desires to meet with you, especially if you've never met him. He desires to meet with you. Let's just drink and say thank you that he loves us, that he's with us, that he holds us lightly, but he never lets us go. just use these moments and I think if there's a you know maybe you have a song or a word or a picture but let's keep it in line with the flow of what God's been saying okay so if it's in line with what God's been saying please feel free to bring it I think it's important we stay on that track this morning sense as well that God God is desperate to introduce himself afresh this morning don't quite know what that means but he wants to introduce himself afresh this morning whether you've ever experienced him or whether you've kind of walked with him for decades I sense he just wants to introduce himself afresh so Father we say Lord as we listen I want to thank you for the movement of your spirit in our lives Father and I want to thank you that it always comes with grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness Father and for those of us who are aware perhaps Father that we've that we've been holding something with a clenched fist Father we say we are sorry help us Father to slowly uncurl our hands you don't expect us to go from a clenched fist to an open palm, Jesus, but just to release that tension a little bit, to trust that you are God and you are King and you have wonderful, beautiful things because you love our loved ones more than we do. You care for our loved ones 
more than we could ever. They're in your thoughts more than they're ever in our thoughts. Their goodness and their future is greater in your eyes than it could ever be in ours. And we just choose, Father, to lift them afresh to you in the name of Jesus.
silent moment at the start of the service. Um, I just got this verse, Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And I just, as I, as I was listening to Adam, I just felt, wow, you know, that's what Hannah did. She was faithful with the one thing that he gave her. And then he multiplied it and he gave her more. Um, and I just wanted to encourage us yeah, anything he's put in our hand, if we're faithful with it, he will multiply it. You know, she was barren and he gave her one thing. She was faithful with that one thing. And then she it multiplied even more. Um, so that's just to encourage you all. This might come out a little bit muddled because it's still coming to me. But God just doesn't want us to hold the good things lightly. He wants all of us um, past sins that might be holding on so tightly because of the guilt and shame. He wants you to open your hands, give those sins to him because that's why he died. He died to save us from our sins, no matter how bad you think they are. No matter how horrible you've been, he wants you to give it all to him. Don't hold on to them. Open those hands. Open your heart. Give it to the Lord. 